Father, thank you that we have the opportunity to gather today. Lord, we acknowledge that um, that the the church, the the people of uh, believers across the nations, um, God, we we are a part of that family, and and uh, and God is. We think about even a, a day where it's snowing; it's a little bit more difficult to get to uh, get to church. It's, it's just such a privilege that we can gather openly and freely like this, knowing that there are so many across the globe that have to do so in fear, have to do so um, in a, in an underground way, and so many that desire to do so, but there are no other believers around them. Uh, and so many that desire to do so, but don't have the resources to do so. So, God, it is a it is a gift and a privilege that we can gather in this uh, in this room. And, uh, and do so freely and openly and, and joyfully. So God, we thank you for that. And Father, we uh, ask for your blessing um, on every church across the city seeking to be faithful to your word and to the gospel this morning. We pray you would bless them. We pray that people would be drawn to Jesus, that people would be compelled uh, by his life, his death and resurrection. And they would walk away not impressed with the service, not impressed with the, with the preachers, not even impressed with the music, but in awe of him. And we pray that you would bless the churches across the city seeking to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. God, we pray for our time now that as we turn to your word, that you would help us to be humble and contrite and to tremble underneath the authority of your word. God, we readily admit that we love to be uh, our own authority over things, our own authority over you, our own authority over scripture, our own authority over anything we can. And so we ask for your help that you would humble us and make us teachable and that we would be a eager to be taught by you, not to master your word, but to be mastered by it so that we could be shaped into the image of Jesus, that we could reflect Jesus to one another and we would reflect Jesus to our neighbors and that people would be drawn to you as they see the lives that we live and hear the good news from our lips. So God, would you come do that through, uh, through this time as we open your word? Help me, um, God, in my inadequacies and insufficiencies, God, would you be gracious to us in this time? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this series, Safety in Time, we have been talking about uh, this concept that God gives us safety in time through Jesus, that through the gospel, God has given us safety in time. And through this series, we've done an invisible math equation. Gospel up top equals safety plus time. So the gospel equals safety plus time. I'm going to have Greg flip over to the next slide. We're going to define those terms before we get into the text. So the gospel, which is good news for bad people through the finished work of Christ on the cross and the endless power of the Holy Spirit. Multiple exposures, constant immersion, wave upon wave of grace and truth according to the Bible. The gospel gives us safety and time from God. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has lived the life that we have not lived. Jesus has died the death that we deserve to die. Jesus has risen from the grave victorious over Satan, sin, and death. And through faith in him, anyone and everyone is restored to God and placed in his kingdom now and eternally. And the verdict over our lives before God is not one who is guilty, it's not one who is shamed, it's not one who is condemned, it's one who is righteous. God sees us through the gospel, through the lens of Christ, pure, blameless, righteous, spotless, even though in reality we are not yet those things. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, the gospel gives us safety in time because the verdict that God places over us is already brought into the present. The future verdict of, of clear, of, of righteous, of accepted is brought into the present, which now means that we have time 
before God. We have no fear before God. We have no rush or pressure to improve and become better because God has already placed the crown and verdict over our heads of accepted and blameless. And so we have safety in time because of the work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that is the gospel. And uh, safety, if you want to go back to that, I want to I read it just so it sinks in. So the gospel changes our status before God, fills us with the Holy Spirit, and that produces safety. We have a non-accusing environment, no finger pointing, no embarrassing others, no manipulation, no oppression, no condescension, but respect and sympathy and understanding where sinners can confess and unburden their souls. This, this emerges from the reality of what Jesus has done. The gospel gives us safety. The gospel also gives us time, no pressure, not even self-imposed pressure, no deadlines on growth, urgency but not hurry because no one changes quickly. A lot of space for complicated people to rethink their lives at a deep level. God is patient. Right? We looked at this last week from Exodus 34, that the character of God is patient, merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. When Moses asked God to show him his glory, that's how God reveals himself, with the declaration of his character, that he's patient and gracious, as well as holy. This is what our churches must be, gentle and truth-filled environments of gospel equals safety plus time. It's where we're finally free to grow because of the saving and transforming grace of Jesus. So that's kind of what we looked at last week, and we're going to look at that this week in a new lens and in a new way. Last week, we looked at God gives us safety and time through Jesus. This week, we're going to look at how the safety and time from God creates safety and time for us. So last week we looked at safety and time from God, right, top down. Now we're going to look at how that safety and time creates an environment of safety and time for us, safety and time from the gospel that we extend to one another as a church body, as a as friends, if you're married, as a married couple, um, in your workplace, like how it transforms the relationships that we do on a horizontal plane, okay? You guys with that? All right, so that's what we're gonna do, okay? So let's jump into the text. Safety and time from God leads to safety and time to each other. Let's jump into the text and we'll work this out. Colossians chapter three, verse 12. We'll go through 17, though we'll focus um, primarily on 12 through 15. This is the Apostle Paul writing to uh, the church of the Colossians. This is a church that had struggled with uh, buying into kind of worldly wisdom and knowledge, and, and Paul is writing to affirm the supremacy of Christ in all things. And here he's now beginning to encourage them, based on what Jesus has done, to live in a new way, based on the grace they've received, to behave in a new way that's in line with that grace. Verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Safety in time from God leads to safety in time for us. Safety in time from God leads to safety in time for us. 
us. What the Apostle Paul is trying to lay out here for this church and for us is that gospel belief must extend into gospel behavior. The link is actually in verse 12. What does he say? Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Paul is is reminding them, you are this thing, therefore put on these attributes. Because this is who you are, live in this way. Because of what God has done for you and how he has changed your identity, walk in step with that identity. In verse, uh, three, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, right, so, so uh, 11 verses before this, he says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What the Apostle Paul is doing in this whole chapter, in this whole section of Colossians, he's just trying to remind them, hey, you're in a new family now. Live in step with who you are. This would be like a person who adopts a child and, and puts them in a, in a family, and they, they, they continue to, uh, to kind of uh, feel anxious, or they continue to feel like, oh, I need to hide food in the house, which is often what you'll see with adopted children, right? It says, this is the parent saying, hey, I got you. Everything I have is yours. You don't have to live afraid anymore. You don't have to live like an orphan anymore. You're adopted. Live knowing this new identity that I've placed on you. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across. So he's going to say to them, God has chosen you. God has loved you. God has been gracious to you. You are holy and beloved and blameless in his sight. Now put on these new ways of living and acting because of what Christ has done for you. And this language of put on is like putting on clothes. He's like, take off, right? And, and before this, he's going to say, uh, put away, right? He's going to almost have this, this language of put away um, sexual morality, put away all of these other things that you used to do. Now put on these new behaviors and these new activities because of the grace of Jesus. Now notice the order there, right? The grace has come that is redeemed and saved. Now live in this new way, not live in a new way and the grace will arrive on your door, right? You see the order here? So the apostle is saying, this is who you are now, so live in step with it. Live in step with it. Gospel belief extends to gospel behavior. And the reason this is so important, and you've seen it, behavior can undercut even the best doctrine. Right? So there's people, they believe the gospel, they love the gospel, but the way they live makes the gospel look horrible. You ever seen that before? And so, so part of this, this reality is, this is actually how we make the gospel look beautiful. When we live in step with what scripture says and what the gospel would entail. Behavior can undercut our doctrine or our behavior can adorn our doctrine. See, if we walk around and say, Jesus has, has saved me by his grace. Through the grace of Jesus, I've been redeemed. And we're the most graceless, angry, bitter, unforgiving people around, what are we doing? We're undercutting the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're making the gospel look ugly. But if we say, I've been saved by Jesus, and we become and we grow as compassionate people, gracious people, forgiving people, patient people, do you know what we do? We actually adorn the gospel. It's almost like we're pointing lights towards the Savior, and our behavior is compelling and attracting people to consider and look at Him. And so this idea of, uh, of, of safety and time from God leads to safety and time for us is very much about making the gospel seem as beautiful as it truly is. 
It doesn't remove the offense of the gospel, but it, but it increases the visibility of its beauty. So let's look, at, let's look through this, what this safety and time from God to us looks like. The first phrase that Paul gives is bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. You guys know this phrase. If somebody, um, somebody is quick to be angry, right? We might say they have a, uh, um, a, a blank temper, right? What, what, what phrase will we put there? They would have a, a hot temper? Wow, I've never heard that before. Short temper, that's the one I was looking for. A hot temper. Hot and short temper. That's good. Right? When we say they have a short temper, this, this idea of bearing with one another, this is the idea, instead of having a, a short temper, this is having a long temper. Right? Gospel people, people who have been shaped by the grace of Jesus, have a long temper. It takes a lot to set them off. Now, automatically, you're like, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, right? I feel that, right? Right? And this is, this is why we have safety and time, right? We're declared righteous by the work of Jesus, which means we have time to grow. Isn't that beautiful? We have time to grow. We don't have to grow tomorrow. Or we don't have to have grown yesterday. We have time to grow. God isn't waiting for us to grow to love us. He has brought the verdict in through the work of Jesus. But bearing with one another, this is choosing to be long-suffering, choosing to be patient, choosing to be kind, choosing to be merciful, choosing to tolerate, choosing to uh, have a long leash of grace and patience instead of a short leash to anger and resentment. Well, why? Because of how God is gracious to us. Because of how God is slow to anger with you. Because of how God is patient with you. Right? This is how the gospel shapes this new behavior. Right? This, is, this, is, this is difficult. Uh, one commentator puts it like this. This idea of bear with it, you could, you could phrase it this way. It catches the sense uh, of, of uh, requiring effort because the attitudes and actions of the other are immature and tiresome. Right? Some people are hard to bear with. Right? But that doesn't discount us. Don't look at the person next to you. Like four, four of you guys just went like this. Um, okay, we need this sermon badly, right? Some people are hard to bear. I know you're all joking. Some people are hard to bear with, right? But that doesn't discount us from doing this work. If we think about all the ways in which we have been difficult for God to bear with, all the ways in which we reject God, all the ways in which we've run from God, all the, which, all the ways from which even as we love God, we, we still are, are, are fleeing from Him or rebellious towards Him, and yet He remains patient with us. He remains patient with you. There's nothing in your life right now that God is looking at and saying, well, because of that, I'm going to withhold grace from you. The grace is yours to grab hold of and take through the work of Jesus. He's patient with us. So because he's patient with us, we strive to be patient with one another because that adorns the gospel. The safety and time from God leads to safety and time for us. But this is so difficult, right? I remember actually this week driving to uh, practice where we're coaching uh, fourth graders in the city, and, uh, and they were doing construction on Broadway at 6 p.m. And so my immediate, re- my immediate reaction was, why would you do construction at 6 p.m. on a major road in Somerville? So I'm angry in this car, you guys, angry in this car. And then it just hits me, I'm angry because I'm going to be late, and then it just hits me, it's like, well, it's actually my fault that I left 10 minutes before practice starts. This is actually, this is actually my doing, and, and my, but my anger is looking for a place to be unleashed instead of taking responsibility. I'm like, well, they're doing construction at 6 on a major street. This is their fault, right? I don't want to bear with them. I don't want to be patient. I don't want to be compassionate. It's actually my fault, but I want to unleash that anger. You, you ever feel that way? 
where you know deep down rationally, like, this isn't their fault, but oh, this feels good. Like, I'm just going to unleash mentally upon them, right? right? But, th- but that's out of step with the gospel, right? That's not, that's not bearing with, but we struggle with it nonetheless. The next phrase that he gives is forgiving one another. We know how difficult it is to forgive. We love to forgive externally, but resent internally, right? Forgiving is difficult. But the Apostle Paul is going to do something here, which he does also in Ephesians 4. He's going to say, forgive, and he's going to root it in an activity that's been done for us. He's going to say, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. You, you see, the safety and time from God leads to safety and time for each other. That's what the Apostle is going to root this in. He's going to say, forgive because they deserve it. Obviously, they don't deserve it. He's going to say, forgive because it's easy. Obviously, it's not easy. Don't forgive just because it's going to be convenient. Uh, no, it's not convenient. He's rooting this in the work of Jesus for us. Now, we know that forgiveness isn't cheap. Forgiveness isn't forgive and forget. Forgiveness isn't um, forgiving and letting them do the same thing again. Forgiveness isn't holding someone accountable. Forgiveness doesn't mean they don't give restitution. Forgiveness doesn't mean they don't set things right. No, no. Forgiveness means all of those things, but the Apostle Paul is saying, he's focusing on the person who's been offended and saying, hold the disposition of the gospel and seek to forgive. Don't hold on to the offense. Seek to forgive just as the Father sought to forgive us and then actually did it through the work of His Son, Jesus. So He's not discounting the difficulty of forgiveness, the the complexity of forgiveness. He's saying, have the disposition, though, to forgive because of the work of Jesus for you. The next thing that He's going to lay out is compassionate hearts. This is so critical if we're going to have a a church culture or environment or relationships that are filled with safety and time, compassionate hearts. Again, this is a callback to Exodus 34, which we looked at last week, where God is giving out his, uh, his essential character to Moses. And here we see compassionate hearts. And this is critical for extending safety and time to one another. And I want you to think about it like this. When you see someone mess up, when you see someone fail, when you see someone sin, is your first response self-identification and sorrow? Or is your response self-righteousness and superiority? This is the essence of a compassionate heart. When you see someone fail, do you immediately say, wow, that, that could have been me. I'm weak too. Or do you immediately run and, and begin to think, ah, I would never do such a thing. Or I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. Right? This reveals the level of compassion in our hearts. Do we move to self-identification? I am a sinner too. Or do we move to superiority? Ah, I've, I've grown past that. I remember watching a, a baseball game several years ago, and there was a player who had, uh, was, was in the tabloids for adultery affair, all this stuff, and uh, people were just commenting, like, I can't believe, I can't believe he did this, I can't believe it. And someone was, like, do you, someone was like, do you really think none of us could ever do that? And it was this moment where people would realize, like, yeah, like, that's just that's what humans do. Like, we royally mess things up. It's kind of in our DNA. And if we believe the gospel, we know that even more so. We know that we mess things up so much so that Jesus has to come and redeem us. And so when we see somebody in sin, even gross sin or gross failure or a, or a major flaw, doesn't mean we don't correct, doesn't mean we don't critique gently or, or rightly, but it, but it also means we don't just say, oh, I would never do such a thing. No, no, no. If you are a Christian, you understand you are very capable of such things. 
but you have the grace of your Savior helping you. So we don't just see someone in their sin. We see someone who needs compassion. We see someone who could easily, very well, be us. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer put, puts this well. Um, we'll get this one for, for a quote. Um, it says, whoever lives beneath the cross of Jesus and has discerned in the cross of Jesus the utter ungodliness of all people and of their own hearts will find there is no sin that can ever be unfamiliar. Whoever has once been appalled by the horror of their own sin, which nailed Jesus to the cross, will no longer be appalled by even the most serious sin of another Christian. Rather, they know the human heart from the cross of Jesus. Such persons know how totally lost the human heart is in sin and weakness, how it goes astray in the ways of sin, and know, too, that this same heart is accepted in grace and mercy. What this, this theologian is saying is he's, he's getting across this reality is that if you have seen the horror of your own sin and it's led you to turn to receive grace from Jesus, you understand the depths of the human heart because you've seen it in yourself. And so when you see sin in anyone else, you're not surprised. You grieve, you're, you're sorrowful, you're hurt, you're broken, but you don't say, I can't believe that person. You, can, you can't say that. Because you've seen the depths of sin in yourself. You've seen that the the gospel says that your sin is so bad, Jesus had to die for it. So how can we point the finger at someone else and say, you, you, oh, you're the one that's so bad. You're the one that's far off. When when we really understand, no, I'm the one. I'm the one that's far off. And you're in the same boat with me. But there's there's, there's no surprise. Because we understand the depth, the gravity, and the horror of sin. Because we've seen it first in ourselves. And so when we've seen it in ourselves, we're not surprised to see another human being like us with the same issues. Does this make sense? And so this produces compassion. Our first reaction then to sin, if we are really believing in the gospel, is not like, is not anger. It's not how could you, it's not even shock, it's self-identification and sorrow. Say, I'm infected by sin too. I'm grieved that this has got a hold of you. But there's grace for us at the cross. That's the reaction of someone who's being changed and being given a compassionate heart. So safety and time from God then leads to safety and time for each of us. He gives patience and kindness. These are, these are similar. Patience, pretty self-explanatory. We're patient with others because we understand how slow we are to change. See, so much of this comes from understanding that God is kind with us despite our struggles. Therefore, we become kind with one another. See, we love to have people change at a rate that we don't change. So we get impatient. I can't believe this person's office keeps doing this. Yeah, well, let's think about how long it's taken us to do something. Think about, oh, I wish this person would understand and get this, but we forget how long it took us to get that thing. So God is calling us to remember the grace and the patience that he has lavished on us and then to let that go forward to one another. And all of this, remember, all of this is rooted in believing the gospel. It's the power source that all of this flows and emanates from. So here's some quick effects of believing the gospel that, that lead to safety and time to us from God. 
I'm just going to rattle some of these off for us. The effects of believing the gospel that produces safety and time for us. You're quick to forgive because you have been forgiven. You are merciful because you have been shown mercy. You are quick to love because you are being loved extravagantly. You are hopeful for others and yourself to change because Jesus has promised to do it, but you don't pressure yourself or others because Jesus has done enough. You are inclusive of others no matter who they are or what they've done because when you were an outcast, you were invited in. You pursue peace with others when they are jerks because as a great enemy of God, you've been reconciled. See, even the jerks, we'd be kind, we'd be kind to the jerks, right? Even the jerks. Some people, no, no, right? Well, we get to be kind to the jerks. So it doesn't mean we have to hang out with them all the time, right? But we can still be kind to them. You are gentle and tender because Jesus cares for you. You are patient with others because God's mercies for you are new every morning. New mercies every morning from God to us. It's not new mercies contingent on how well we were yesterday. It's not new mercies contingent on yesterday's goodness. It's new mercies from the character of God for us. Now, this list is ideals, but remember, God even gives us safety and time to grow at this. So if we're not there yet, we have grace and time to continue to make progress. And the fact that so much of Scripture speaks to behavior that flows from the gospel is encouragement for us because if it was easy, if it was natural to us, if it was second nature, <laughs> if it was second nature, it's good. I need more of that. If it's second nature, it's his amen already. If it was second nature to us, right, there wouldn't be such a thrust driving our attention to this, right? So, so be encouraged. God understands that this is difficult for us, but he's given us grace in the spirit to help this happen. Now, what happens when this takes root in a group of people is you begin to form a new culture in a church, in a family, in a relationship, in a marriage, in a home, in, a, in, in whatever. A new culture begins to take shape if people are experiencing safety and time from God and extending it to one another. And culture is the stuff in the air that is sort of the temperature of the dynamics in a relationship. And culture is what either adorns the gospel or undercuts it. So if you have a church that says, hey, we're all about the grace of Jesus, we're all about the forgiveness and mercy of Jesus, we're all about Jesus, but when you come into the church, no one welcomes you, people only like you if you're kind of into the same things that they're into, uh, if you confess a sin, people look at you like, wow, really? Like, the culture is toxic. The culture is anti-gospel, even though on paper the doctrine is all about Jesus. Does that make sense? And so what happens when safety and time from God begins to flow out to one another in all of our relationships, then the culture begins to actually match the doctrine. So then you have gospel doctrine matched with the gospel culture. And that's when things become beautiful. That's when things become transformational. This is why Jesus in John 13 says, the world will know you by your love for one another. Now, Jesus is concerned with his church preaching the gospel correctly. But he's saying, though, the way that people will know what you preach is powerful is when they see it displayed in the love that you have for each other. So it's not just the message, but it's the demonstration of the message's power as it's transforming people to be gracious and loving and truth-filled and grace-filled to one another in a way that reflects Christ. Does this make sense? That's where the power is. 
when the safety and time from God bleeds out to one another, then people become attracted experientially to the person of Jesus. And they give an ear to hear the gospel that often they would never lend. That's when the power comes. So safety and time extended to us from God creates a gospel culture. And culture is huge. I want you to um, think, think about this. There was, there was a story, I think it came out last year, um, about Amazon, um, which is taking over Seattle. Um, and all my friends back home are like just, just upset. Um, but it's taking over. And they, they, they preach, we want to have a work-life balance, work-life balance, work-life balance. That's what they say. But do you know what the culture is of that place? At least at the time, maybe it's changed. Do you know what the culture is? 60-hour, 80-hour weeks. That's the culture. And so they're preaching something, but the culture is completely opposite. It's almost this silent expectation that you're going to put in these serious hours. So, so the value is being preached, but the culture is undercutting what's coming from their lips. We don't want that to be the case with the gospel. We don't want that to be the case in our church or in any church of Jesus. And so the culture, how we extend safety and time to one another is powerful to make the gospel tangible in the lives of one another. Jesus feels real to one another, to you, when you confess a sin to someone and their first words to you are, you know what? You're forgiven. I'll walk with you through this, but you know what? You're not condemned. Jesus accepts you. Jesus died for you. And I'm going to walk with you to help you grow. People experience Jesus when that happens. And so culture is shaped by how we extend safety and time to one another. Now, what's difficult about this is, and the Apostle Paul gets at this in the text, that in order for this to happen, something has to be reigning and, and ruling in our hearts. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in, uh, in if I can find it, da, 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 verse 15. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Um, heart in Scripture is like the cockpit of a plane. It controls everything. Right? The heart in Scripture is like the throne room of, of, of the human. It, 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 it controls everything. This is why you know food is unhealthy and you still eat it anyway. You know all the facts, but your desire in your heart, in your control center, is for those Doritos. It's for whatever it is, right? It's why we can know something backwards and forwards, but it doesn't necessarily change our behavior. Well, that has to come from the motivation control center of a person. It has to come from what Scripture calls the heart. And so the Apostle Paul is going to anchor so much of what's happening in this chapter. In verse 15, he's saying, all of these things, put on this, put on this, do this, do this because of the grace you've received, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What the Apostle Paul is getting at here is that if the gospel of Jesus, the peace that we have from God through Jesus, if that's not reigning and ruling in our hearts, we will not be able to extend safety and time to one another. It won't happen. So much of what rules in our hearts is not the peace that God has given us through Jesus, that we're accepted, that all things will work out for our good, that our future is unbelievably bright, even though we're going to face trials. It's not usually the peace. You know what usually reigns and rules in our hearts? Worry. Convenience. Desire to be perfect. And when that reigns and rules in your hearts, you're going to interact with others out of that overflow. And so if perfection is reigning and ruling your hearts, you have this pressure, I have to be this thing. Oh man, you're going to be horrible to be around. If worry reigns and rules in your hearts, do you know what is going to overflow out of you to everyone else? 
Anxiety, fear, stress. Ah, people are just going to see you and start getting stressed out. You don't have to say anything. It's just going to be this overflow. I just leave them and I'm wor- I don't even know what I'm worried about. My blood pressure has gone through the roof just because I looked at them. Right? It's just going to be this overflow of worry, fear, anxiety. And you know what's so hard about this is who of us is not affected by those things? Like, who of us is not there right now, right, with all the trials and things that come our way, right? It's, this is hard. All the life transitions, all the questions about work, job, family, all of these things. We have this pressure. We, have, we always have this nagging pressure, right, that we're just not quite what we're supposed to be yet, right? You ever feel that? I'm just not quite there. There's one more thing I need to achieve, that I should have achieved five years ago before I turned blank, right? There's just this sense of just always one more thing I should have done or that they did and I'm trying to do, but I can't, right? Always this sense. But the gospel comes in with a different message. The gospel comes in with the message of Jesus. It says that the verdict over you is not you need one more thing, but the the verdict over you is you're pure, blameless, and accepted, There is not one more thing you could do for God's favor and acceptance. You have it completely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when that truth of the gospel begins to reign and rule in your hearts, you then become one step closer to extending the mercy, the compassion, the kindness, the forgiveness, the grace, and the patience that God has given to you to others but it comes from believing the gospel. This is why this is so difficult. It comes from the simple but powerful act of believing that all Christ has done for you, all that scripture says he has done for you, is actually true and believing it every single day. That's how safety and time overflows out of your heart to others. It's through believing the gospel. One uh, writer puts it, uh, puts the importance um, of this like this. He says, in order for a pure and lasting work of spiritual renewal to take place within the church, multitudes within it must be led to build their lives on the foundation of the gospel. This means they must be condu- conducted, like led into uh, a full conscious awareness of God's holiness, right, that, that we are condemned before him, the depths of our sin, and then the sufficiency of the atoning work of Jesus for our acceptance with God. They need this not just at the outset of their Christian lives, but every succeeding day. Just the reality is that when we believe the gospel every day, then we become quicker to extend safety and time to one another. And what happens when this takes root in a group of people, the culture of a family, a culture of a friendship, the culture of a home, the culture of a workplace, the culture of a marriage, the culture of whatever, the culture of a church, it begins to change. There's something new in the air. And what's new in the air is the effects of the gospel. You can smell it. You can feel it. You can taste it. It, it changes everything when this happens in our hearts. So here's, here's two ways that you can seek to see this happen. When you believe the gospel day by day deeply, you can ask these two things. Just think about this. If you, if you reflect on this in the day, part of your routine in the morning or something like that, you think of rehearsing all the ways in which God has been gracious to you. Just make that part of your routine. Let the first voice that you hear in the day be the reminders of how God has been gracious to you rather than all of the things that are going crazy in the news. 
rather than the inbox, rather than how many uh, social media notifications you have, right? Let the first voice you hear, if you can, some of you can't, you have no, you have no choice, right? Uh, but if you can, let the first thing that you hear be a, a wave of God's mercy and grace over you. And then at some point in your day, ask this question, how can I extend the grace that God has given me to somebody else today? How can I embody the compassion that God has given to me to somebody else? What, what would that look like for me today? It might be a major thing, it might be a small thing, but if you ask those two questions, dang, how can I reflect on how God has been kind to me in Jesus, and how can I reflect that kindness to somebody else today? The culture of your relationships will change dramatically. People will notice a difference. The gospel's effects will be in the air, and people will become attracted to you and to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if that happens in our church, then we just grow in the gospel more and more. The kind things that people already say about our community by God's grace will just simply increase. The welcoming nature that people always tell me about uh, of, of all of you will, will simply increase with, with more power. People will feel it in the air. So what happens when safety and time from God comes to us? See, people think the power of Jesus is on display in a relationship or in a church or in a family or in a marriage or in a friendship when there's no conflict and when there's no issues. That, that's not true. The power of Jesus is on display in a relationship, whatever relationship it is, or in a church when there is conflict, but the conflict is worked through with truth and grace. The power of Jesus is displayed in a relationship and in a church when there is sin against one another, but there is forgiveness without resentment. The power of Jesus is displayed in a relationship in a church when there is bickering and there is gossip, but then it's actually reconciled and worked through. Not with the fake, ah, it's okay, but with the real, that hurt me. And on the other side, I'm so sorry. Do you forgive me? That's when the power of Jesus is on display because people begin to understand, well, that doesn't normally happen. You usually skirt the issue, but actually a problem is worked through and resolved with forgiveness, grace, patience, and compassion. And people begin to feel and taste in the air the power of the gospel. But none of that happens without the safety and time happening in our hearts from believing the gospel. But when it does, people feel and see, not just hear, the truth that Jesus gives grace to sinners. Safety and time from God leads to safety and time for us. So may God in his grace, by the power of the gospel, by the help of his Holy Spirit, make us a community that's believing in the gospel more and more, and that continues to extend this safety and time that has come from God to one another. I want you to think about what would this change in your relationships as part of the church? What would this change even maybe with your family? There's always someone in your family that's difficult, right? Well, what would this change in your family? What would this change maybe in your, your household, if that's your roommates or if that's your marriage or if that's with uh, friends or, 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 or whatever? Just think of all the different spheres that you're in. How would safety and time from God to you extended to others begin to change things? And as a church, uh, there's this beautiful kind of welcome statement that, that I think we do embody and would, by God's grace, may we embody all the more. I want to uh, read, read this welcome uh, statement to us uh, as, as we close. This is a church that embodies not just gospel doctrine, but gospel culture. Listen to how beautiful this is. Welcome to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, 
to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and whoever else will come. This church opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? The only, I love that the only, because I can meet this qualification, the only qualification here is some sort of need. And that's really, that's the only qualification God holds out for us in the gospel, that the only thing we have to bring to him is need. And not even a complete sense of our need, but just some sense of it. That's all we have to bring to him. And as we sung, his arms are open wide. Arms that should be crossed, ready to condemn us, are open wide to receive us because the condemnation was put upon his son, Jesus Christ, who went joyfully and willingly on our behalf. And so all we need to bring, the the qualification that I can meet is need. The qualification that you can meet is need. And when you have been changed by this, then all you desire or require from somebody else is need. And you begin to extend them the grace that God has given to you in Christ. And when that happens in a church, this is what we actually embody, not just on a screen, but in reality. May God make it so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the safety and time that you give us through your son, Jesus. That in him, there is no condemnation for us. For anyone and everyone who who brings their need to him and, and trusts in him. Father, we thank you for your grace. God, thank you that you saw fit not to give us what we deserve to condemn us, but you saw fit to rescue us. You saw fit to be gracious to us even as we were running from you. That while we were dead in our sins, you loved us and Christ died for us. God, would you help the the truth of the cross and the truth of your grace in and through the work of your son, Jesus? Would you help it reign, that truth reign and rule in our hearts? Would you give us increased faith to, to, to see Christ as the one who places the new identity and new verdict, new reality over our lives? Lord, would you give us discernment Lord, with all the self-imposed pressures and deadlines and goals and achievements and accolades that we place upon ourselves to achieve and to, to uh, secure, God, would you, would you help us to separate those from the verdict that you place on us in Christ? Would you root us and anchor us in him? And as you do that, God, would you make us a people who extend grace to one another, who are full of truth, but also full of mercy? who are anchored in the doctrines of your word, but identify with sinners with compassion and sorrow because we are them ourselves. God, would you make us quicker to forgive because we taste and savor and experience daily the endless forgiveness you pour out over us. God, would you help us to be more patient because we have a clear sense of our inadequacies, a clear sense of our, of our sins, a clear sense of our struggles. And above all, we know how patient you've been with us. God, would you do this by the power of your Holy Spirit, that our friendships would be dif- different and would reflect the gospel, that our relationships would reflect the gospel, that our church would embody a gospel culture more and more, and that people would see a culture that matches with the truth of grace 
that we proclaim in Jesus' name. Pray this for your glory. Pray this for our good. May you make it so. Amen.